Welcome to another edition of the Team Turnbuckle Podcast. We apologize. We were actually shooting the SmackDown and Raw edition of the Team Turnbuckle Podcast. Got through with the SmackDown portion. I believe I have that saved where we release that as one podcast. And then we are just going to go through the Raw section here, uh, which will save us obviously a lot of time so we don't talk twice but with you uh as always is your host keith fleming with me as always is my co-host and i guess since technically we're doing two of these i will go with the sean michaels to my marty janetti ronnell tinsley ronnell how you doing i'm doing well keith i'm doing well although i would have been okay with the one going through the the barbershop window for you <laughs> i'd like to hear that uh Raw opened with Asuka giving a promo that was immediately uh, interrupted by the new women's tag champs, Bailey and Sasha. We had just talked about that on the SmackDown podcast. They were then followed and interrupted by Charlotte and then later interrupted by the Iconics. I've talked before about how I get frustrated with the way WWE seems like that this is the only way that they could set up matches because – Lo and behold, next thing you know, even though Charlotte is challenging Oscar tonight, or I guess because of that in the main event, they have a triple uh, threat tag match is set between the Boston Hug team, uh, the Iconics, and Oscar and Charlotte. The triple threat match, though, was a really good opening match, particularly highlighting Pey- Peyton Royce, particularly during her interactions with Sasha Banks. The double drop kicks, uh, just some really good, like actual mat wrestling. I was really impressed by Peyton Royce in this match. Yeah, absolutely. The Iconics, uh, like I had mentioned a couple of weeks ago, those girls look like they've been really putting in the work since they've uh, been gone. And since they've come back, I've been actually quite impressed with them. Me too. The uh, the champs near the end of the match, and I just love this, it's the Hill champs. They seemed extremely disinterested. They literally were just chilling outside the ring for the finish. Meanwhile, Charlotte went for a moonsault, but was tagged by Asuka. Uh, unknowingly, another hot tag. Again, WWE kind of gets to where they, they have these certain finishes, and they seem to use them a lot in short periods. We talked about the same thing on SmackDown. Uh, Asuka would put her Asuka lock on to pick up the win. I'm not totally understood why WWE seems so dedicated to Putting down the tag team division, we'll get, you know, discussing this again to actually close the show. But, you know, it seems like week after week the tag champs go down. What I'm most frustrated about in this, because at least the champs came out unscathed. They just didn't care about it. But you had a tag team in the Iconics that you had built up, and they lose to Charlotte and Asuka, who are not even a tag team. And, yes, they're great single wrestlers, but – I just don't understand why, you know, they have to put over a tag team that's really hot, like the Iconics and the Boston Hug. And when you put three teams like that in this situation, you're kind of in a no-win booking situation. But do you think this loss decreases or increases the chance that the Iconics actually win the tag belts at the pay-per-view Sunday? The only way I see that it increases is just because of who they lost to. I mean, Asuka's uh, the hottest thing in the women's division right now, I, at least in my humble opinion. Charlotte uh, is Charlotte, you know, the greatest of all time. So I don't think it really uh, puts the Iconics down, but I agree with you in that I don't understand why they would take a loss. I mean, in, in impromptu match like this, 
I would have been okay with some kind of disqualification, but of course it's a triple threat, so there's no DQ. Uh, I would have just preferred some sort of no contest in this, just for my liking. I agree, and it does need to be said, though, if the Iconics do win the belts on Sunday, that is good news for, you know, me and you have at times, even though we've came around in the last couple of weeks because the storyline's been great, but the breakup of Sasha and Bailey, I would assume they got to use these tag belts and them losing them as the start of, you know, the bigger cracks in the dam, if you will, and then things are going to really start to fall apart fast. I would love that as is the one who is the reason that they lose them. So Seth Rollins filled in on commentary for an interview at Rey Mysterio. Mysterio said there's a high risk for an additional infection, but he was recovering well from his eye injury. Rollins said he was worried that Ray was spreading lies about the sacrifice that he made for the sake of the cause. I just love how he's playing this out right now. He pleaded for Ray to show up next week to announce his retirement. Alistair Black would then attack Rollins. Buddy Murphy and Austin Theory made the save, which led to a tag team match with Humberto Carrillo in Mr. Black. A fairly short match dominated by Alistair, who picked up the win for he and Humberto. After the match, Rollins walked out in a mask as the numbers game turned to be too much for Alistair and Humberto. The segment ended with Rollins giving the Dutch Destroyer a curb stomp. Are you liking uh, where they're going with this right now? And what do you feel uh, is the end game? in this uh, Alistair Black and Seth Rollins affair? Well, before I get into like the end game and, and what I like about this, if you have not seen the way that Alistair Black attacked Seth Rollins on commentary, which led to this tag match, like you have to go see it. He jumps like literally into the screen out of nowhere, knocks Rollins way back, shows off really his athleticism uh, and why he is going to be a superstar if they continue to book him the correct way. I love everything about this. I, I think that this is the most interested I've been in Rey Mysterio in years. Uh, I think that Rollins, I've been saying this for about six weeks now, is the best wrestler in the world right now. If you're talking about in the ring, on the mic, his character. I, I love that WWE kind of appears to be taking, you know, Brody Lee's storyline in AEW and saying, we can do it better than you can because Seth Rollins is better than Brody Lee, because I, I just love, I mean, what you just said right there. He said he was worried Ray was spreading lies about the sacrifice he made for the sake of the cause. And I mean, that's just, it's brilliant stuff. He, he's so egotistical and full of himself, smug. smug. It's, and this, Seth Rollins has a punchable face. So it's so smart for them to get back to him being a heel but this version of his heel is not, you know, the whiny, you know, cowardly heel. And, and I just love seeing it. And then again, it's building up all these other guys. This, this highlighted Murphy, this highlighted Theory, it highlighted Humberto. And Aleister Black, it needs to be remembered, was the other guy who at least a report came out that it came down to Drew McIntyre and Aleister Black to win the Royal Rumble. At the last mountain they went with McIntyre, that was the right decision but it shows the stock they've had in Black. And basically, I, the two outcomes I see of this is either Aleister Black goes over Seth Rollins clean, which right now that's basically going over the best wrestler in WWE because, you know, there's no Roman Reigns. Uh, and Bray Wyatt has kind of became a sideshow, and a lot of the older guys are gone. And 
if he doesn't, the other thing I've mentioned on the podcast where I think it really cool if he ends up becoming a disciple at the end of this, joins the staple, becomes the muscle. There's their four guys, and you let that, you know, kind of group run WWE for a little while. That's also going to benefit him. Either way, the Dutch Destroyer is moving up the WWE food chain. Yeah, I would say so. I do hope that, you know, maybe a U.S. title run, uh, a nice U.S. title run would be coming for him. And yeah, let's give let's give the Dutch Destroyer some some shine, please. So the final segment of the Edge and Randy Orton feud going into their match at Backlash, it was a segment between Edge and Christian Christian talked before his upcoming match with Randy Orton this Sunday. He questioned if Edge was really ready for this Sunday. He had to be confident in himself. Randy Orton would show up, and they had one final face-to-face. This was kind of as Edge found his voice, if you will, and started really feeling confident about the Sunday. I will say, though, for what has been a really good buildup overall, it's lost steam as it's gotten closer to the pay-per-view. And for these three performers, this was just not the greatest go-home segment ever. Having said that, I'm still excited in the match. I'm still really worried about them still demanding to build it as the greatest wrestling match ever. I sent you – I love the T-shirts that they have out now with the, you know, the iconic matches throughout the years. But, again, that's so much pressure on these two guys, even two guys that are Hall of Famers, like all-timers like them too. Who do you have winning this match on Sunday, and has WWE put too much pressure on the performers with this greatest match ever build up? Um, first and foremost, I think that they're going to wind up having Randy Orton win. I don't know how or why. I just have a feeling on this one, so that's my opinion on that. The buildup for this is absolutely ridiculous. Um, I would have expected a little bit more, especially getting Edge and Christian back together. I didn't expect Christian to just to kind of, I don't know, push his buttons the way he did to try to bring the real edge back, whatever that meant. And so, yeah, you're, you're right. The, the steam on this is kind of lost, but you know, they should have just built it as just, I don't know, the match to end this feud. So I don't, I don't get what they were doing with that. Yeah, I I have Randy Orton going over as well, and I think then they have one more match, maybe SummerSlam, maybe a Hell in a Cell match. Both those guys have been involved in a few of them, Uh, and then that's the the blow-off, so it only makes sense for Edge to win the first match, Randy Orton to win this one. I think it also would make the most sense for the storyline to have you know, Randy Orton, who's not considered the, the greater wrestler, I don't think, of the two. Really, unfairly, Orton, I think, is a really good wrestler. Uh, you know, Absolutely. to hold that over Edge's head going into their final bout. Yeah, I could see that happening. You know, he he knows how to turn those heel angles and just twist that knife a little longer to drag it out. So Andrade won a triple threat match for a shot at Apollo Cruz's U.S. title over Austin Theory and KO. When KO hit the stunner on Theory and Andrade threw KO out of the ring and stole the pin. Is there any way that Andrade wins this U.S. title back next week? Before we talk about, you know, if he loses it, can I just say that I know I complain sometimes about the copy and paste finishes. There is no finish I love more 
and I wish they would do more than in the triple threat. One guy has basically got the win. Then the heel comes in, throws the guy who has got the win out the ring, and then covers the dude that's knocked out for the one, two, three. I just love that finish. A la Shinsuke from Survivor Series last year. Exactly. It's great, man. I just think it's so smart, too, because you can really build up two guys in that moment. But I really hope they are not going to give Andrade the title back because I've talked about how I'm having a hard time getting behind Apollo Crews. It's nothing against him as a performer. He's great in the ring. He looks great. But I just haven't found any reason to care about his character. And if they take the belt off of him this quickly – I think that's it for him as being anything more than just a guy that is occasionally on the WWE screen because this seemed like his big moment, what was it, two weeks ago when he won the title, and to take it away three weeks later, that'd be a tough look for Apollo and kind of what they think about him moving forward. I'm just kind of hoping that this is one of those where he uh, defeats the former champion cleanly in their quote-unquote rematch so that he gets to move forward. And hopefully, you know, they put someone in front of him. I, I'm really liking, I, I do apologize, uh, it was actually uh, Angel Garza, not not Austin Theory here. Um, and what they had built up with uh, Garza and Andrade, I would be interested in seeing how that plays out rather than Andrade getting the U.S. title back. Dude, I cannot get those two guys, like figured out for the life of me i cannot tell you how many times even while writing it you know i do notes for these podcasts as i'm watching it and i still write down around that's like the fourth or fifth time i've done that either on a social media post or just for these notes and that so i do apologize about that uh and i also will say that i hope this leads to a ko apollo cruz feud and maybe bring out a heel ko because if apollo cruz went over a heel ko now I think you're talking about potentially building him up or either he turns heel on KO and maybe that would make him a little bit more interesting. That would. Uh, in an attempt to make Bobby Lashley <laughs> look strong. And again, I, I, I hate to gripe about this stuff, but this just makes me so frustrated. Uh, and to honestly make him look strong for his title match Sunday, which honestly I don't think he has a shot to win. That's what's really sad about it is I think they're building him up to lose to Drew McIntyre on Sunday, but they once again sacrificed the tag team division. This time it was the Viking Raiders. Just last week it was the Street Profits. So you've taken your two most dominant tag teams in the Raw division and had them move to Lashley and a part-timer. It frustrates me, but anyway, as Lashley and MVP defeated them, uh, you know, do you think that there is any chance Lashley wins on Sunday? Because I just cannot see that happening. I never snipped it for a single moment. I'm just hoping that it winds up being one of those matches where, I don't know, Lashley winds up looking really strong. I mean, he did have, I don't remember who it was, but there was a couple of weeks ago, like Bobby looked really good, really fluid with his move set. Uh, of course, it was right. I believe it was right as he added that full Nelson. He looked uh, great in the gauntlet Arch- match. I know for sure. And yeah, so you know, as long as it doesn't completely bury him, and you know, he can actually stay on the fringe of the title picture, I'll be okay with it. But I don't see really much of any chance of him winning this. And you know, I will be the first to apologize. And if they end up either having Lashley go over on Sunday, which obviously would make sense, he needs to be white hot going into it, 
or as long as they don't just push him right back down the card and keep him relevant and unstoppable because it's not a big deal to lose to Drew McIntyre right now. He is the top guy on the Raw brand, so it would not be a big loss. I'm I'm more okay with this because kind of what you said with the women, you could argue that there's, you know, no better compliment to a tag team than you just lost to one of the better wrestlers on the show. It's just right now we've only been seeing Bobby Lashley as being one of the bigger guys on the show for three, four weeks, and they, they literally just put over the tag team division when they could have done this to other tag teams on Raw, but Anyway, I digress. No, I, I completely agree. You know, we're not seeing any action with the tag titles other than these stupid segments, which I'm glad we didn't even bother touching this week. Um, like, we were so high on the Street Profits and the Viking Raiders, for that matter, and for them to just waste them with these segments, it, it doesn't make any sense, and then just throw them to Bobby Lashley makes even less sense. We want tag team wrestling. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> and in our go-home segment, Asuka faced Charlotte with both tag teams from earlier on on commentary. This was a great match with both women dominating sections of the match. Nia Jax would eventually show up and provide a distraction and help Charlotte pick up the win. A couple of questions here. One, who do you have women the women's tag team title match between the Boss Hug Connection, uh, the Iconics, and Alexa and Nikki Cross? And two, does this loss to Charlotte all but guarantee a win for Asuka over Nia on Sunday to set up an Asuka-Charlotte feud for the strap? For the tag titles, I was almost positive that Sasha and Bailey would retain. But you made a really good point about the Iconics. I think they need to win the most. And, I mean, if if the plan originally I know was for what I read was Sasha and Bailey would, you know, kind of – had their big match at SummerSlam. I mean, we're in June, so they're going to have to start moving on this thing. So it would make sense for them to lose the tag team titles and maybe they would officially split, you know, in the next couple of weeks. So uh, I could see either one of those. I'm still going to go with Sasha and Bailey. Maybe they wait a few more weeks, maybe have them lose them on SmackDown or the Iconics. Uh, as for the loss to Charlotte, I, I sure hope so. I, I was really impressed with this match. I, I will take – all the Charlotte and Oscar one-on-one matches we can get for the rest of time uh, because their, their styles just match and mesh so well. Because again, I got a little upset when I posted the, the comment about Charlotte wants to be a man's champion. Charlotte is big enough to be a man's champion. I promise you, if you put Charlotte in the ring with China, yes, she's not as thick as her, but she would tower over her. Like, Charlotte mm-hmm. is a giant of a woman. My, my wife says it every time she sees her on TV. She's an Amazon. Uh, so, Charlotte can actually manhandle Asuka, which Asuka is a little bit on the smaller side, but because of her physicality, it just doesn't show that very much in her matches. She's normally the one dominating, giving the punishment. And I love the, the part in the match where Charlotte was just beating the crap out of Asuka and Asuka showing that, you know, resilient champ continuing to get up and get up and get up and take more than obviously the Nia Jax distraction led to the big boot and she lost. And I was, I was going to say that I was frustrated that Charlotte continues to go over Oscar because this is twice in a couple of weeks, but I think what they're building up for, or Mm -hmm. I'm almost positive they are is a big moment for Oscar down the line where they have, you know, whether it be SummerSlam, 
Survivor Series, a big moment pay-per-view down the line where she finally gets over on Charlotte because obviously I still don't think she's gotten her win back since the WrestleMania moment where obviously Charlotte ended her streak, took her title. Uh, so it's just, I think that they're setting up the right thing. Asuka also, just to, to back up what you were saying, Ed, or the hottest woman in wrestling, I think she may be the hottest star, her and Seth Rollins, in wrestling right now. Uh, I just love what they're letting her do with her character. And she, you know, like Becky and Charlotte and Bailey and Sasha, they, they always put on good matches. Like they don't get talked about as much as the man, which they should. But those women almost always put on a really good match, whether it's a five minute match or a 15, a TV show or a pay-per-view. I absolutely agree with that. I was loved. I loved this match that they had put on. Um, like you, I could watch 20. Thank you. I do apologize about that, a little network issue. But um, as I was saying, uh, the one part I we didn't talk about was her backstage uh, when she when Charlotte asked, do you take anything seriously? And she was like, I do. And slapped the taste out of Charlotte's mouth. It was absolutely wonderful. I'm loving what they're doing with Asuka. So I hope that that's what they're building towards. I do not feel that Nia should be taking the strap right now. And I do have the Iconics. Uh, winning the tag team titles again and having them, you know, feud with Alexa and Nikki, you know, Alexa and Nikki are doing a great thing for the tag team titles. Uh, I thought they were great champions. So I'm looking forward to what they're doing more uh, with the women's tag titles. And before we get out of here, which uh, match are you looking forward to most on the pay-per-view this Sunday? Quite honestly, I think, I think Drew and Bobby Lashley. I'm hoping that they turn out an entertaining product, give us a good 15, 20-minute match, let uh, Bobby look really strong, but he's going to have to take the loss here. Uh, that would be my second choice. I'm really excited about the Oscar-Nijax so match. I think Oscar is going to win. But I just think that, you know, we saw a, a brief match from them a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, their interaction in the Money in the Bank ladder match. Uh, I just think, again, Asuka, it's, it's compelling when she's the smaller of the two women and can kind of get manhandled and sort of be the resilient champ, especially when she's a face. And I'm just really looking forward to that because she's, got, I think, going to find a way to beat this, you know, monster of a woman, Nia Jax, and retain her title. And then probably yeah, I agree. Um, before we get out of here, I just wanted to shout out um, Team Turnbuckle Group member, uh, and I believe it's Jason Gill Martin for uh, putting in in an effort to streamline uh, the creative process for TV. WWE has consolidated both teams from Raw and SmackDown into one group, led by Bruce Pritchard. Paul Heyman will now concentrate on his role as an in-ring performer. That was just posted in the group a little under a little more than an hour ago. What do you feel is going to happen now that Paul Heyman is going to be off of the creative team? It, 
I'm very excited to hear that they're now going to be thinking about both of their shows together, which is the way they should be. I mean, it only makes sense that even though the brands are technically separate, except for this wild card rule that they have, uh, they, they should be thinking about, you know, both shows and trying to, you know, again, not have the same finishes on a SmackDown and a Raw back to back, like what mm-hmm. we've seen in the last couple of weeks. But I have no doubt that Paul Heyman is the reason all these young guys on Raw were mm-hmm. selected in the draft last year because that was right when they made the split and while they're being pushed the way they are. We wouldn't have Drew McIntyre, mm-hmm. I don't believe, as champion right now. We wouldn't have Aleister Black being a big-time figure. Paul Heyman understands something that WWE has kind of forgot, honestly, in the last decade, with the exception of guys that just sort of bust out uh, without, you know, a lot of help from creative in the sense that you've got to build future stars. And to me, SmackDown is a show that has the stars. Raw has been the show that is building stars. And I thought Raw had been very good. The last couple of weeks have been okay, but I thought it was the better of the two shows for most of the, you know, crowdless uh, period. Oh, yeah. What oh, do you yeah. think um, SmackDown has definitely been uh, the one that I appreciated least during this quarantine time out of all of the shows across all brands. So do you think, though, with Paul Heyman going back to in the ring, does that mean Brock Lesnar is coming back? He's going to work with other stars or is that just basically? I don't know. I'm kind of, you know, you and I have I know we had spoken on it once or twice about how we would love it if Heyman actually started getting other guys, you know, maybe creating his own little stable, you know. A dangerous alliance. That would be nice, you know, especially considering that Brock is only going to be, you know, I'm not going to be one of those, oh, he's a part-timer, but, you know, he's only going to come back in and out, usually just kind of peeking in on, hey, what's going on with the world title? Because I feel like I uh, want to come back and hold on to this for a couple of days. Well, we are, again, apologize that we have a SmackDown and Raw episode. We had some uh, technical issues in the middle of transitioning from smackdown to raw so i actually will post two podcasts this are for the raw smackdown edition one that is smackdown only and then one that is raw uh, do you uh have absolutely you want to um 2020 our uh, my business is goal to get twenty thousand families in uh homes uh if you need any uh problems getting your credit uh, in order getting a living will trust and power of attorney get at me run out on facebook and instagram and then again, before we get out of here, just to remind everyone, the Ivy Sports Podcast feed, it's available on iTunes, Spotify, and Anchor. Please be sure to subscribe. Please be sure to rate and review. Uh, we will not only have the Team Turnbuckle podcast, but we do two a week, the AEW NXT edition and the Raw SmackDown 3 this week. Uh, but you also have the RC report. Uh, myself and Alan are going to get back to doing the Backdoor Cover, which is our gambling podcast, and many, many more. So please be sure to subscribe to that. You can follow the IB Sports Group on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. But for Keith Fleming and Ron L. Tinsley, this has been another edition of the Team Turnbuckle Podcast, IB Sports Wrestling Podcast on the IB Sports Podcast feed. And we will see you guys soon. Take